Well, welcome back to the Let It Be Us podcast. I am so glad that you're with us today. Uh, I am joined by Vanessa Bai and Heather Risser. Heather is from Northwestern and Vanessa is part of the amazing team at Let It Be Us. Um, Dr. Heather Risser, can you just start us off? Can you let folks know what you do at Northwestern? Yeah, so the vast majority of what I do is support parents and parent and the active parenting. So whoever may be in a parenting role, and we really support parents to uh, build capacity. That means sort of better understand what resources are around for them uh, to support uh, healthy parent, healthy child development, healthy parent-child relationships, uh, and we focus specifically on kids who've been in the welfare system kids who have been exposed to violence, abuse, and trauma, and children with special health care needs and uh, neurodiversity. That's beautiful work that you guys are doing. Now, Thanks. you guys have developed a partnership with Let It Be Us that has existed for a little while, but in case people are just now under- coming to realize this, what has that partnership looked like, at least from the perspective of Northwestern? So we really see this as a uh, collaborative uh, partnership where we each have areas of specialty that together provide, I think we'll provide some really applied tools, resources, and support for uh, parents or foster parents and prospective foster parents, because Mm -hmm. we think that the collaboration is not just with our agencies, but also with parents and prospective foster parents and prospective foster parents, because we really want their voice to help guide our work so that it is uh, relevant for them and meaningful for them. And so the first thing we did is completed a uh, survey of parents' uh, perspectives and parent needs. So in other words, if you have in the past fostered a child with special health care needs or are considering it, what are some of the things that you think would be helpful uh, to help that placement be successful. And yeah. then the second thing we're doing now is we're working to develop some uh, focus groups so that we can hear more details about how to then support those needs that they have. Uh, and one of the things that we're hoping to be able to do is uh, provide uh, virtual support through video conferencing. Uh, to sort of help parents walk through uh, better understanding a variety of things that they can do uh, with in, within their home and their community to support their, their children's permanency. Yeah. And that's a big part of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, but before we jump into that, Vanessa, for folks who are just being introduced to you, because one of the things that I think that Heather just touched on that makes Let It Be Us truly remarkable, and if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, if you are interested in being a foster parent, the reason I want you to start with Let It Be Us is because it is a place that I know that you can find community. It's a place that I know that if you have a question, you're going to get your question answered. And often you're going to get your question answered by Vanessa. So Vanessa, what do you, but what's your actual job at Let It Be Us? Not yeah. just answering my questions. Um, So I am um, one of the directors here of our uh, placement support program and foster parent coaching. Um, I have had the pleasure of working in child welfare now almost 10 years. Um, So I have been, I always say that I've done just about everything except for investigations with DCFS. So I've done um, 
case management. I've done foster home licensing, quality assurance, um, helped to run a, a program for a while. And now I'm also a, um, a clinician. So I, I work uh, therapeutically with birth parents that are working toward reunification with their kids. And then I met Susan somewhere in this mix. And um, that's how I ended up working with Let It Be Us. So myself and all of my incredible colleagues all have um, various experience in child welfare. So we're all able to um, come together and be Let It Be Us to help, as you said, Ross, um, support folks that are new to this journey, are curious about foster care, um, want to become foster parents. What's really cool about us is regardless of kind of where you are in your decision of becoming a foster parent, we we can help you out here. So I call us a bridge. Um, we are an organization that can kind of fill in the gaps where um, placement uh, agencies can't. So as you said, we answer questions. We offer uh, webinars where we inform people about licensing, what that looks like. We have a coaching program that is much more personal. It's a one-on-one experience to get your own questions answered. And we also um, support agencies and their staff as well in placement. Um, and I think that's one of the most critical parts about what Let It Be Us does is simply the fact that every agency would love to do plenty of the work that Let It Be Us does, but it is simply a matter of capacity that is limited by investigations and the care of the child that makes that work impossible. And Let It Be Us is able to step in and help support kids on this road to permanency, that fancy word that Heather just mentioned. Now, Mm -hmm. if I'm a brand new parent, if I'm a brand new foster parent, whether I have kids in a home or not, I might not know what that word means. So Vanessa, to start with you, what, what is permanency? What, what does that word mean? So permanency ultimately means that a child is no longer in foster care. They are no longer under guardianship support, um, being part of DCFS. They are, their case has officially closed basically with the state. Now that has different avenues. Um, when a child first comes into foster care, the goal is to support that family in the kids reunifying or going home to their birth parents. So case management supports the kids, but also the the parents that are involved to help kind of resolve whatever the issues are in the home so that the kiddos can go back. Um, they're given a significant amount of time to work toward that. And then if um, unfortunately that is not possible, the kids can't go back home. That's when other avenues of permanency are explored. So adoption, um, there's, that's the kind of the main one we're hoping for after um, return home is not a viable option, but there's also guardianship options. And then for older youth also um, independence, but that means that there's a separation. DCFS is no longer involved. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. Heather, you know, this, so much of this ties into your area of expertise. I'm curious what we know and how, you know, this is one of those questions that we could just have an entire podcast series about, but Mm -hmm. what do we know about kids who have healthy attachments, health have been raised in healthy environments where permanency has been an accessible option to them, right? Whether that is a you know, like my own children who I have two biological children that uh, have only grown up in one home their entire life or the, some of the scenarios where Vanessa has, has described some of the, I'll use the term 
with please take it with the amount of nuance required the success stories where a child has gone through the foster care system but has been able to um achieve permanency quickly in the way that the foster care system defines a word quickly what is what is lost when a child does not have permanency might be the shorter way to ask that question yeah so um a lack of permanency so as you mentioned that word attachment attachment is sort of the critical um component of child development in my in my opinion in my humble opinion um and so what permanency does is it challenges that uh attachment um and and we know that attachment to um one healthy adult is all all they need Uh, And that healthy adult does not need to be a biological parent. It doesn't even have to be a parent specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's our goal with the foster parent program is to uh, develop that with a parent figure. Um, But that permanency really provides that child a safe and stable environment in which to develop. And when I mean develop, I mean they that's where they develop their worldview. So they're either going to develop a worldview uh, where where things are safe and predictable and they can start to explore that world and develop their own autonomy, or they're going to um, have some uh, additional hurdle, hurdles in developing that kind of a perspective, right? Um, it's not an either or proposition. Um, <clears throat> way I kind of set it up to sound at first, but um, it is important that we think about opportunities to provide as much security and safety as possible. And we know that pretty much any outcome you look at, whether that's socio-emotional, cognitive, health-related, any outcome we look at improves when permanency improves. Uh, so we think about the fact that if we can get these these kids to a place of permanency, oh, then they can kind of <laughs> focus on all the other things of childhood and development, right? Because that that piece is is managed. And I think that makes sense to people. You know, I this is the part where it's fun for me because as a guy who doesn't work for Let It Be Us, I get to say like the the following is not necessarily the opinion of uh, Let It Be Us, but it's just Ross Cochran uh, gabbing. But I think folks understand that permanency is the best case for the child. And while mm-hmm. these episodes are coming out during National Adoption Awareness Month, and while certainly there are beautiful and uh, redemptive stories of adoption, I think it's really critical and I want to make sure folks really pay attention to what Vanessa had said earlier that permanency itself has multiple different expressions that there is adoption certainly, but that reunification is sort of the first ultimate plan for permanency. So Mm -hmm. Heather, I want to stick with you here because a big part of your work, as you alluded to earlier, is about um, environments and child behaviors and what you are able to do with Let It Be Us is focusing on how a new parent sort of setting up expectations for what uh, someone who's a new foster parent might expect when a child comes into their home. 
And I'm curious what you have found to be maybe in those initial surveys of what folks feel like they need. But um, what do you feel like a new foster parent should expect? Um, Yeah, I would say, so that is a whole series of podcasts itself, I would say, actually, (laughs) um, because I think you pointed to a great point. It depends on where that kid is developmentally. So if they're an infant, um, versus a toddler versus a preschooler versus a teenager, you're going to have very different kinds of behaviors um, or uh, emotional reactions to things that could look different. Um, so that that's a hard one to answer, but <clears throat> oh, excuse me, but what can help make a parent successful, I think, are a number of, of perspectives that the parent has control over, right? And that is uh, one of the biggest things, I think, is being in the mindset of this child is um, is going to help you learn different skills, right? Um, because I think if we come to the perspective that we're always trying to mold this child, I think that's going to really set up for some difficult dynamics. Um, so thinking more like, hey, this is a chance for me as a, as a human, as a person in a parenting and caregiving role, to learn some different ways of being. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Educating yourself is the first step toward bringing a child or children into your home from foster care and Let It Be Us can help. Their webinars answer your questions about the process of becoming a licensed foster parent in Illinois. The information they provide will not only guide you on your journey to becoming a foster or adoptive parent, but you will also learn directly from seasoned foster parents and hear about the many waiting children in Illinois. You can sign up for a Let It Be Us event or webinar to learn more about the children in foster care, the roles and responsibilities of adoptive and foster parents, the process you will go through to become a foster home, the next steps to take on the journey to becoming a foster parent, and so much more. If you feel like this podcast didn't answer your exact specific question, it's because I want you to go to a Let It Be Us event. My wife and I did, and that's what led us to becoming foster parents. If it worked for me, it'll work for you too. Head to letitbeus.org and check out the events tab to register for the next online event or the many options in person near you. You don't have to make any major decisions at these events. The only thing you need to do is to decide whether or not you want to explore the next step in becoming a foster parent. I hope you will, and I think you will. But again, get started today at letitbeus.org or via the links in the show notes. The diversity of the kids coming in Um, They're going to have so many different needs that a parent might not have thought of. They're going to learn in different ways. They're not going to necessarily respond in the way that we are expecting. And that's not necessarily uh, a disciplinary issue, right? Um, That is a natural response to an environment the child has been in previously. And so I, I think there's two things to think about. One is those behaviors, those reactions have served them in some way before. Um, and or those they it takes a while to learn that those behaviors or those reactions are no longer needed to keep you safe. And you can't just tell a kid that, hey, we've got food now. You can have this food whenever you want. 
that is not that alone is not going to change hoarding behavior, right? Because they have not had food for so long. It's a survival. So you need to demonstrate to them that every time they take food, every time they eat food in the middle of the night in their room, that that's okay. Because otherwise, because I've seen it before, like otherwise they are being told one thing, but when they actually test it, it's something different, right? And so that's one thing where we have to really think about how are we going to change uh, to support the, the, this child? How are we going to change the environment to support the child? And how can we com commit to that over and over again? Uh, so I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is that sometimes behaviors are counterintuitive. We don't think necessarily that they are what they are. And so, for example, we may have uh, a child that just looks extremely disobedient. But what that is, that could be underlying anxiety. And so that fear and that anxiety is really causing that child to avoid situations. And so when we respond to that situation from a disciplinary perspective, because I think that's one of the things that the parenting literature always tells us to be consistent, set your, yeah. set your boundaries, and then, you know, uh, hold to them. Uh, but that doesn't work very well when you're dealing with things like anxiety or avoidance. Uh, and so what really we help parents to better understand is what is the underlying function of that child's behavior? Because once you get to the function of the behavior, then you can respond appropriately. And I can tell you if the function of the behavior is fear, anxiety, um, avoidance as a result of the anxiety, uh, discipline is not going to be effective. And in fact, it, it could actually inadvertently increase that behavior. And so what we have to think about is what does that child need emotionally to feel safe to be able to do that thing, whatever it is you're asking of them? Or is what you're asking of them really that important? Can you just, can you kind of take a step back and say, hey, this is me wanting them to do this. This is, this is where I'm stepping in to try and change them. But hold on, let me step out and see what are they trying to tell me? What is their behavior trying to tell me? So I would say those are the two main things is being in a position where we're, we're trying to be kind of come to that, to learn about that child and how we can change the environment and change our response to the child to help them to feel safe. And two, when is, uh, you know, what is the underlying function of that behavior? But if I'm a parent and I'm feeling overwhelmed by certain behaviors, I'm, what are some things that I should be keeping in mind? What are some things that I should be as a parent practicing so that I'm not um, projecting some of my own challenges, insecurities, what have you onto the child whose behavior is actually from more of a place of trauma than a place of ruining my day? Um, I think you mentioned this earlier, Ross. I always say it's helpful to... Um, remember that that kiddo is not getting up saying to themselves every day, how am I going to ruin foster mom, foster dad's day? Um, their behavior is always communicating something. Um, and it's trauma is, is such a beast because as I always say, you know, the, the response to trauma is, is unpredictable. We all respond to different situations, different traumas in different ways. Um, you know, you and I, Ross, Heather, we could all see something really terrible. And, and the next day I'm fine. Ross is shaken up for a couple of days and Heather may, you know, still be thinking about it two years later. That's, that's the trouble. Um, 
So I think, you know, something to keep in mind that I always suggest is, is kind of having a tribe, as we call it here at Let It Be Us, um, having other people, knowing other individuals, um, building a community that, um, you know, other people that foster. So having other foster parents to be able to share your experiences with who may have more experience, who may have been doing this longer um, as a way of, you know, having an outlet to talk about those frustrations, um, as you said, to not project your own stuff, to, to have, you know, people that are there in your corner to support you when, when those days are tough. Yeah. I just think it's real. you know, one of the things that was a big sort of light bulb moment for me was the first time someone said, if you have someone, uh, if you have a placement coming to your home, your community should act the same way that it acted when you had a newborn come in, into your home yeah. from the hospital. Yeah. And when I think about the lavishness that was bestowed upon my wife and I with each of my children, um, I want that so desperately for all of you who are listening, who are new foster parents. I want that for you. And I think it becomes very easy to think that, oh, I have to do this by myself. I said I was going to be a foster parent. I said I was going to do the, the good person thing. And therefore, I have to fight this by myself. And that is so not true and frankly, detrimental to the kids who are in your home. Um, Heather, I want to begin to land the plane here with you, which is there are certain tried and true things, certain best practices, right? You alluded to this. One of my favorite parts about hosting a podcast like this is I can't be prescriptive even if I wanted to. I can't tell <laughs> you, person who's listening, that this is going to work for your kid because I don't know you. I don't know your home. I don't know the kid who's going to come into your home, right? But one of the things that I love about Let It Be Us is that when the phone rings for the first time that says, and it's a your caseworker saying, hey, we have a child. You have folks at Let It Be Us who are there to help you. And there are folks who would be able to help you with your specific home, with your specific placements, and get specific questions answered along the way. But to fast forward a little bit, I know that there are best practices, things that you can do as a parent to sort of set your environment, set your home up for success to a certain extent, no matter what the child, no matter what the child is like that comes into your home, maybe what are two or three things that a new foster parent could keep in mind to set um, up their home for success before the phone rings for the very first time? Yeah, I think the first, <laughs> the first thing is, of course, taking care of yourself, making sure that you have um, a plan for what are you going to do when you get really stressed? Who can you call? Uh, do you have let it be us on your speed dial? <laughs> do you have the caseworker's <laughs> number? Um, do you have somebody that you can talk to? Um, I think that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing I think is, and this, I cannot take credit for this. Uh, this is my partner who came up with it because uh, I, I, I think I forgot to say in the first part uh, with my background and my credentials, the biggest credential is that I have a little boy with Down syndrome. Uh, who has um, sensory issues and ADHD. So uh, the, the second thing is bake it in. So know that there is going to be something. You might not know what it is. You might not know when it happens. But when it does happen, you just bake that into your day. And you say, okay, this is happening now. Um, and we're going to have to manage this now. And that 
almost always, regardless of what it is, is going to require some kind of regulation. Hmm. First, you have to regulate your emotions to whatever the situation is, and then you have to help the child regulate theirs. And then you can start to problem solve, or then you can start to talk about how we want to try a different thing next time, or how um, grabbing knives out of the dishwasher and climbing on the table with them are, is not safe. You know, those kinds of things. So you have to sort of figure out for, first, bake in that something's going to happen. Um, you can't be prepared for what it's going to be. But then remember, when it does, be like, ah, this is that thing. And now what, what is step one? Oh, right. Regulate myself. Step two, help regulate the child. And then we figure out what next steps are. Um, and then I think the third thing is just really trying to get to know the child, build a positive relationship with the child. So that when that thing happens, that child can feel that you have their best interests in mind and they will work with you. Um, you need that positive foundation to really, um, uh, well, I guess maybe four things, that positive foundation. And then the fourth thing is really, again, just coming from it from uh, almost like a humble sort of learning perspective. Like this child is going to teach me some things. Mm -hmm. I want to learn from this child. I want to hear what they have to say. I want to hear um, how they perceive uh, things. And I want to validate that because um, a big part of regulation is validating. I hear you uh, and, 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 and your perspective is valid. Yeah. What, how, how can I help you? How can we calm our bodies down? How can we take some deep breaths? And then we can talk about how we can do something different next time. Let It Be Us, a foster care and adoption podcast, is made possible by the amazing team of experts at Let It Be Us. Check out the show notes wherever you're listening for more information about Let It Be Us and how you can help out kids in foster care today. This podcast is dedicated to the entire foster care community of parents, professionals, and donors who are doing everything they can to help kids in foster care across Illinois. This podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. The theme song for this podcast is Into Silence by Made to Be. And you also heard their song, You Know a Better Way. Thank you for being one of us. And thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon.